Amen. Friends, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is where we are going to be this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there and grab one of those blue Bibles. Psalm 90 is on page 551, I think. 551 in the blue Bible, pretty sure that's where it's at. Psalm 90, we started the series last Sunday. So if you are new, great timing, great timing. You've only missed one, one sermon in this series. You can go on our website, flourishinggrace.org slash listen. You'll find all, all of our Sunday sermon, normal Sunday sermons there. Um, and it's, it's, it would be good to catch up. Here's what's going on. This is a sermon of Moses, okay? And, and, and I'm going to read it for us, or a psalm of Moses. It's been linked to Moses, and it's, and it's uh, kind of broken into these two parts. The first, um, the, the first uh, I don't know, 10, 11 verses, and, and then you have the second part. And it all kind of hinges on verse 12. It's kind of the thesis of this psalm. And we are, we're going to be walking through this psalm for the next eight weeks here at Flourishing Grace, unpacking this thing together. And so here's what I'm going to do. Before we unpack all that, if you're able and willing, would you stand with me as I read the word this morning? In honor and reverence of the word of God, let's stand together. And I'll read for us Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to the dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. We are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. If their span is but toil and trouble, they're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Yes, as I was saying, this is a psalm um, that has been attributed to Moses, right? It's the only psalm that we have that's attributed to Moses. And we're, we're not sure, we talked about this last week, but we're not sure exactly what that means, right? Did Moses actually write these words? Is this something that he sat down and, and wrote out? Or, or is this something that he spoke more like, most likely, it's something that he spoke over the nation of Israel, prayer that he prayed over the nation of Israel, right? And somebody else wrote it down and turned it into a psalm that would be sung from generation to generation to generation. We're not sure exactly. What we know is that this has been attributed to Moses 
for thousands and thousands of years. Before the days of Jesus, in ancient Israel, this psalm was attributed to Moses in some way, shape, or form. It's attributed to Moses. As I said a minute ago, it has two parts. It has this beginning, which is kind of this robust theology and doctrine, deep truth about who you are and who God is. And then it shifts at verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then it moves into kind of this prayer of, of request before God, kind of imperative commands. God, do this, show up, give us this, right? And so for those of you in the room, I said this last week, for those of you in the room who are doers, you're like, just tell me what to do and, and I'm going to go do it. You like check boxes, you love to just get, like you have love list, you just like get it done, right? You're going to love the second half of this psalm. But for those of you in the room who are more like, no, 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 you got to convince me. Give me the why. When your boss comes into the office in the morning and says, here's what I need you to do today. Do this, do this, do this. And you're like, no, 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 no. You, know, you have to tell me why you want me to do it. Motivate me. You, you, I, I need my mind and my heart to be in the right place. That's what the first half of the psalm does. The first half is setting our minds and our hearts on the right things so that we might actually do the right things in the right way for the right reasons. You, you might be a disciplined person. You might say, I'm just going to get it done. I'm just going to pick myself up by the bootstraps and just get, you give me the list. I will accomplish the task. But the truth is, it only lasts for so long. Without, without the right posture of our hearts and minds, the, the, the goodness only lasts so long, right? The, the reality is, like if you are... You get on an airplane, right, and you sit down next to someone, and you begin to have a conversation, right? And you spend three hours having a conversation about the weather and sports and the news and everything that's going on in the world, kind of these basic trivial things. And, and in the last second of the flight, you're sitting down, and you're taxiing to the gateway, and you unbuckle your buckle, and, you, and somebody says, hey, across the aisle says, hey, isn't, aren't you so-and-so? And you realize in that moment that they are some famous, world-renowned pianist. You had three hours next to them, and you had no idea. You talked about all these stupid things, these trivial things that you could talk about with anybody. It's meaningless. It's all, you just wasted all that time. You could have learned so much. You could have heard so many incredible stories, but it's too late. In the same way, when we come to the, when we come to the knowledge of who we are, truly who you are, and who God is, and we spend our days on earth with a right knowledge of who he is, and a right knowledge of who we are. Those days are so much fuller and so much more vibrant. We learn to ask for the right things, to have the right posture of heart. And so that's what the first half of the psalm is doing. It's, it's preparing us for the second half. And it's, and I, it's fair warning, it's heavy. It's hard. There's a lot of hard work that comes in these first 11 verses. And so we are going to look at verses 4, 5, and 6 this morning. Um, and, and last week we looked at verses um, 1, 2, and 3, obviously. Uh, maybe not obvi obviously, yeah. And we talked about this idea that, that what Moses does in the first three verses is he, is he stacks God's infinite worth, infinite value, infinite power next to our worthlessness. You return man to the dust, right? So talk about this idea of life as a circle. So often we think of life as a line. You begin here and you live this life and you're growing and you're achieving and you're doing all of these great things. And somewhere over here, at the end of your days, you die. But Moses says, that's not how it works. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, that's not how it works. David in the Psalms says, that's not how it works. Calvin talks about this idea of a circle, right? You begin here 
You start here, here's birth, and you live all of your days in the circle, and you return right back to where you came. This is what the Bible says. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You are dust into dust, you will return. This is, where we, this, is, this is how life is. And so in this kind of man's search for meaning, we say, man, what is my purpose? What is my worth? What is my value? Where, where is all of this stuff in my life? Where do I find my worth? We, we seek and we seek and we seek and we seek and we find there's nothing there. We start here, and you may become that world-renowned pianist. You may do all these amazing things, but you will end up at this exact same place as everybody else. The guy who spends his days binging Netflix and sitting on the couch, eating fast food, is going to end up at the same place that you ended up from dust to dust. And so our culture tells us, that's not true. Don't think about that. You are worthy, and you are powerful, and you are beautiful, and you can do it, you can achieve. And so we're taught to, to indoctrinate ourselves. Every day you must speak affirmation over yourself. Every day when you wake up in the morning, you look yourself in the mirror and you say, you are powerful, and you are strong, and today you will achieve. Today you will make that sale. Today you will, you will get that promotion. Today you're going to make the money. Today you're going to get it done. Today you're going you're gonna to figure this out. You can do it. But the Bible says that's not how it is. You can't just simply say that you're valuable and then make it so. I have a good friend, his name, well, doesn't matter what his name is. He doesn't go here. To, he doesn't live in Utah. A good friend. And, and he's struggling with this, this idea right now. And he's been posting on social media all these crazy things. And, and I've talked about him a little bit. He's a dear friend of mine. I love him dearly. And, and this week he posted this. Actually, yesterday, I think it was, he posted this. He says, keep dreaming, keep believing, keep exploring, keep an open heart and an open mind. Keep trusting there is more. That line is so telling, right? Keep trusting there is more. If you just trust there's more, there's more out there. You just got to trust that there's more. Just trust that there's more. I know that when you search the depths of your life, there's no worth and there's no value and there's no meaning and there's no purpose. But just trust that there's more. I know that when you give life the full exploration of thought that it deserves, that there's nothing there for you. But just trust that there's more. Just keep, keep on going. You can do it. Just get through the day. You're powerful. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. Just keep on going. Just trust that there's more. Friends, outside of Jesus, this is all the world has to offer you. Keep preaching to yourself. Wake up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror, and lie to yourself. That's all you have. Because outside of Jesus, there is nothing more. But in Christ, who ascribes to us infinite worth and infinite value, an infinite meaning, an infinite purpose. There's infinitely more. Every day you can wake up and explore more of the gospel and more of his love for you, more of his affection for you, more of your meaning that, he is a, that he's given you, more of the purpose that he's given you, more knowledge of him. The fringes, the outskirts of his ways are majestic and wonderful and beautiful. And every day there's more to discover. And every day there's infinitely more. We will never tap at all. Never. We will live for all eternity discovering the beauty and the worth that Jesus holds and has extended to us. All of our worth and all of our beauty is found in him. And so last week, Moses stacks his worth next to ours. And today, he, he stacks the eternity of God next to the fragileness that is our life. Here's what he says in verses 4 and 5 and 6. He says, For a thousand years in your sight, for a thousand years in the sight of God, 
are but as yesterday when it is past. A thousand years to God are like yesterday for you. A thousand years. Like a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes. It is renewed and in the evening it fades and it withers. Moses gives these three images, right? Swept away like a flood, like this torrent. I don't know if you've ever seen kind of a mudslide uh, washing down the mountain so fast, so quick, just removing everything in its path. Little stones, little pebbles are just gone in an instant. Boulders, gone in an instant. Homes, gone in an instant. Moses says, that's your life. Those are your years. God of all things just sweeps them away like a flood, like a dream. I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams. Where it's so real, just so vibrant. And you're like, this is amazing. This is the craziest thing that's ever happened. I don't know what you ate the night before, but you have in one of those dreams. It's incredible. And all of a sudden, you wake up. You can't get back there. It's gone. It's gone forever. You, never, you can't get back there. You can't, you can't force yourself to get back into that dream. It's gone. That's what your life is like. All this amazement, all this wonder, and all this goodness, and then gone. It's so fast. Like grass, right? Now Moses thinks of grass is not what you think of grass, okay? Moses thinks of real grass. You know, in his day, they didn't take tons of chemicals and pour them on their lawns to make them green all summer long in the desert, okay? And work that way, right? Grass for Moses springs up in the morning and it grows and it grows and it flourishes in the evening. But by the next day, by the noon sun, it is already beginning to wither and it is gone by the end of the day. It's temporary. It's so fleeting and it's so fast. Moses says, this, this is our life. These are our years. And all of the world and all of culture says, don't think about that. There's pain in that. There's pain in thinking about that, right? You don't want to think about that. Some of you are right now are like, why am I here right now? Why am I listening to this? This is not true. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to number my days. There's pain there. And there is pain there. Uh, this week, um, on Thursday, my, my six-year-old, my oldest son, will turn seven years old. And a neighbor asked me uh, this week for some family photos for something he's doing. Doesn't doesn't matter. So I began flipping through our, our eye photos, and I'm looking through all these pictures. And I see these pictures of Winston, who will be seven, as a, as a three-year-old. And, and I watch these videos of him laughing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, where did that kid go? And in instant. He's a different kid. And then I begin to think of our, of our youngest son, who's, who's three, Haddon, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, in an instant, he's going to be seven. Like, oh yeah, what am I going to do? Like, and I feel like the first three years of his life, he's kind of been robbed. There's, there's been a number of things that have gone on. I haven't been able to invest in him the way that I want to invest in him. It's already gone. It's already happened. And I know in the next three years are going to go by so fast. Like, what? Oh, God, this is a, it's, it's that saying that everybody always says when, you, when you're like a new parent, they say the days are long and the years are short. And you're like, I don't know what that means. That, that's, that's, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Now I know what that means. I've come to the place where I'm like, oh my gosh, the days are long, and the, but the years are so short. And you begin to look back and you see these things and you realize, I'm never going to hear Winston's three-year-old laugh ever again. Those days are gone. I'll never get back there, right? I, I can't. I can't move back in time. And the truth is, I'll never know him as a six-year-old ever again. All the days that I had to invest in him are gone. I think back to my 
through the days when Desiree and I first got married. It seems like yesterday. It just, it seems so, so, it's, it's moving so fast. It's, there's pain in that, right? There's pain in that. This is why people have like 10 kids. They're like, I want to hear that laugh again. Friends, the days are too long, okay? They're just, they're just too long. I can't do it. Listen, there's pain in numbering our days. There's pain in that. And so what do we do? We just don't. We bury our heads in the sand. Last week I said we bury our heads in the sand, speaking these affirmations of ourselves. I am worthy. I am valuable. I am good. I, right? We do the same thing with the brevity of our life, the, fr- the fragileness of our life, and the shortness of our span. I, I don't want to think about it. I just want to think about it. So I numb it all. I dumb it all down. I just don't think about it. And the number one way we do this is by busying our minds with the future. We busy our minds with the future. This is what we do. I do this all of the time. You are probably doing this right now. You've done it a hundred times today. I promise you. Already today, you've done this a hundred times. We busy our minds with the future. What tomorrow might hold for us. You can bet your bottom dollar on tomorrow, right? Because tomorrow, tomorrow everything's going to be better. We begin to dream and think. And I don't want to think about today. I want to think about how short my life is. I don't want to think about my kids and how fast all that time is going. I don't want to think about any of that. So what if we got a new house? I'll spend hours online looking at homes. I'll spend hours thinking about what it could be like and what it could look like. And what if we did this and what if we did that? What if we moved and I got a new job? I should start looking at jobs. And we can think about what if, we, what if we moved out of the state? What if we moved to a different place? What if we moved to a different country? We're just busy our minds in the future. Even the short-term stuff. I got to go groceries. Well, what are we going to get for groceries? I don't know. We got to plan some meals this week. What should we eat? I don't know. We'll spend hours thinking about the future and just live there. That's where we want to live. Not in the present because the present moment is painful. The present moment causes us to think about everything that's fleeting and so uncertainty that lies before us. Let's create a picture of the, pre- or the future that's so much better. James talks about this in James 4. He says this. He says, come now. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Come now. Come on, really? Seriously, you who say, today or tomorrow you're going to move to such and such a place and you're going to trade and you're going to make profit. Profit. We've talked about this a lot here at Flourishing Grace. You see, when you dream, you dream in a perfect preferred future. You don't ever dream, oh, I can't wait till next week. Oh, it's going to be so good when my kids are just killing each other and it's just chaos in my house. That's going to be a sweet week. I can't wait till next week when the doctor calls and there's no cure for what I have. That's going to be a great week. Oh, man, next week when I lose my job, oh, it's going to be so good. Nobody dreams that way. Nobody thinks that way. It's always good. You're always going to make profits. It's always going to end up well for you. James says, come now. Really? You who say that? You who dream that way? You realize you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have no control over tomorrow. Tomorrow is so uncertain. All it takes is one phone call. A doctor calls and your kid is sick. I mean really sick. You go to start your car and it, it's done. It's never going to run again. All of your plans, all your plans for that day, all the plans for that week, all the plans for that month are shifted, they're changed. The boss calls you in, and they got to make some cuts. 
It's instant. It's moment. It's instantaneous. And all the things that you've been dreaming about, all the things that you thought you were going to do, they're gone. Last summer, last year, this time last year, my family had great plans. Great plans, baby. We, our, our youngest is obsessed with Toy Story, right? Loves Woody Buzz. Woody Buzz, Woody Buzz, Woody Buzz. That's all he talks about. Woody Buzz, right? Let's go to Disney World. We were actually we pulled the trigger, man. We had the reservations. We had the hotel. We had it all unlocked. It's going to be amazing. Disney World, we're going. My oldest son loves Legos. My wife's family wanted to do a family reunion in New York. So we're going to go to New York. We're going to take them to Legoland. Disney World, Legoland. Epic summer. Like the most epic summer. COVID. It all goes away in an instant. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You dream and you plan in this perfect preferred future. But all it takes is for the wind to blow, for the waves to rise a little bit, and you realize you were never actually in control. You were never actually in control. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow. Come, come on, really? Here's how Jesus puts it. In Luke 12, in Luke 12, Jesus gives this parable. He says to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Right? It actually did. It actually worked. It actually produced. And he said to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Beginning to think in the future. He says, I will do this. I will in the future. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And I'll store all my goods there. And I'll say to my soul, I will say in the future, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, for many years. Future, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, this one right here, the present, present night, this one right here, your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. James asked the question, what is your life? What is it? And so many people in, the, in our culture today would tell you, it's worthy, it's good, it's long, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. James says, you are a mist. You're here for a little while and then it vanishes. From the moment you came into existence, you were on your way out. That is the truth, and that is the reality, right? We have 270, sorry, 27,000 days, roughly. If you live a full life, you have roughly 27,000 days. That's 80 years, 27,000 days. And every single one of those days is a gift from God. And we don't want to think about it, but the truth is, is that for most of us in this room, the majority of those days are behind us. I'm about 14,000 days into my time here on earth, roughly, give or take, which means if I live a long life, I will have about 13,000 left. I'm over halfway there. There are some of us in this room who literally have less than 1,000 days left. Less than 1,000 days. Some of you think that you have tons of time, but you don't. You don't. It's moving so quickly. Blase Pascal, the French mathematician, philosopher, and theologian, said this, and I, I love this quote. He says, we never keep to the present. We never keep to the present. 
We recall the past. We anticipate the future as if we found it too slow in coming and we're trying to hurry it up. Or we recall the past as if to stay it's too rapid flight. We are so unwise. We are so unwise that we wander about in times that do not belong to us. I love that line. We wander about in times that do not belong to us. And do not think of the only one that does. So vain that we dream of times that are not and blindly flee the only one that is. The fact is that, we, that the present usually hurts. We thrust it out of sight because it distresses us. And we find it enjoyable or sorry to see it slip away. We try to give it the support of the future and think about how we are going to arrange things over which we have no control for a time we can never be sure of reaching. He says this, Thus, we never actually live, but hope to live. And since we are always planning how to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. Pascal, in the 1500s, says this, right? This is not a new problem. This is not a new idea, right? This is not created by social media. It's not created by Instagram and Facebook. It's not created by the news. It's not created by conservatives. It's not created by liberals. This is not a new idea. We're constantly looking towards the future, trying to arrange things over which we have no control or no certainty of ever reaching. We're looking back at the past to try to restore things that can never be restored, wandering about in times that don't belong to us. And therefore, we never actually live. We never actually flourish. You see, you have this bank account of 27,000 coins, and every day you're given one. Just one. You don't have all of them at once. You get one at a time. And you can invest that one, or you can waste it. And so many of our coins are wasted because we spend all of our time thinking about the future ones or looking back at the past ones. And we never actually spend the one that we have. We never actually spend the one we have. Never look at it. I'm always looking at the future ones. I'm always looking back at the past ones. But I never actually look at the one that we have. This is the only one you have. This one right here. Do you see the value in numbering your days? Do you see it? All of culture says don't do that. Don't do it. Don't think about it. It's painful. It's painful. Yes, there may be mourning of the time that has been lost. But without mourning of what is lost, there is no true treasuring of what is. You will never see today as valuable unless you experience how fast it's moving past. You'll never see the worth of it until you see how fleeting it is. There's so much worth in knowing who you really are. That's what this psalm is all about. The first half of the psalm, anyway, it's what it's all about. Knowing the truth of what's going on. Here's how Calvin puts it. He says, in short, men are so dull. Amen, ladies? No? End of sermon. Um, No. In short, (laughs) come on, guys. In short, men are so dull as to think that 30 years or even smaller number, are, as it were, in eternity. Nor are they impressed with the brevity of their life, so long as the world keeps possession of their thoughts. They just, Calvin, right? Are you impressed with the brevity of your life? Does it impress you? 
how fast and how short it is? Or does the world, has the world captured your thoughts? Or all your thoughts in the future? All your thoughts on other things? Have you drowned yourself in YouTube and Instagram and Netflix? Are you constantly thinking about the future? Has the world captured your thoughts? Or are you impressed with the brevity of life? This is the reason why Moses awakens us by, by elevating our minds to the eternity of God without the consideration of which we perceive not how speedily our life vanishes away. The imagination that we shall have a long life resembles a profound sleep in which we are all benumbed until meditation upon the heavenly life swallow up this foolish fancy respecting the length of our continuance upon the earth. We must see the eternity of God from everlasting to everlasting you are God and we must see how short our life is, how fleeting it is, how fast it's moving away, like a dream, like grass, like a flood, like a mist. That's our years. And when we are awakened to that, everything changes. When we realize that this moment right now, this one right here, this is, this is yours. It's given to you right here. It's yours. The God of all things has given you this moment. The next one's not guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. This afternoon's not guaranteed. The past one is past. You can't go back. You can't change it. This is the one you have. It's been entrusted to you. How will you spend it? How, how will you spend this moment? When we live life in the present moment, we experience more. Life is different in the present moment. When we live in the present moment, we are a people who serve better. We actually, in the present moment, when we see the needs around us and we respond better to those needs, we're more awakened to them. We love more. I don't want to waste my present moment. I don't want to spend my present moment yelling at my kids or arguing with my wife or, or getting frustrated with my friends. We love better when we ex actually live in the present moment. We experience more. We soak more in. We, there's more going on. There's more happening. We see it when we sit in the present there's greater joy and greater delight, even in the pain and even in the sorrow. We count it joy. We can experience in the present moment that his mercies are new every morning, right? Lamentations 3.23. We see them. We know that verse. We hear that verse. We put it on a coffee mug. But so many of us, we never actually see his mercies that are new every morning because we're so busy wandering about in times that don't belong to us. Only in the present will you experience his mercies that are new for you today. And I know this sounds like some sort of psychological idea, some counseling thing, but this is not. This is a deeply biblical idea. James talks about it. Moses talks about it. Solomon talks about it. David talks about it in the Psalms. Look at real quickly. Psalm 39. We're almost done. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. David writes this. He says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. I want to see it. I know there's pain there, but that's what I want. I want it. I want to experience it. I want to, I want to sit in the pain of my limited days, my frailty. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. I want to know it. I want to live in that. Every day I want to know how fleeting my life is. 
You see, the beauty of this is this. When you realize that this is the one moment that is given to you, you can look at Jesus and you can see how he spent the one moment that was given to him. He did not spend it dwelling on the future, thinking about how he was going to arrange things someday, somewhere. No, he spent it to secure the future right there. He spent his current moment to secure the future. Not, not thinking about it, actually doing it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He said, I will secure all of your moments with my moment. I will surrender my moment for you. I will go to the cross. And at any moment on the cross, I know I have all authority and all power to remove myself from this cross. But I will endure the cross. I will endure the pain. I will seek pain in my present moment for your sake. You see, in the present moment, there's a greater awareness, a greater love, a a greater affection, a greater servanthood. And he lives in the present moment. He hangs on the cross. He says, this moment, I surrender for those whom I love. In the same way, the present moment is the only one that you're actually able to surrender to him. You have no control over the future moments. You might think you're going to surrender to them, but you don't know. Your past ones are already gone. This present moment is the only one you have to actually surrender to him. It's the only one you can say, Jesus, you've entrusted this one to me. You've given it to me, but it's yours. And so I give it to you. This is your moment. Do with me what you will. I am not mine. I am yours. I give this to you. But if you're not living in the present moment, if if you're drowning yourself in times that don't belong to you, you'll never actually do that. You can't do that. It's impossible. You'll waste that coin. And the, friends, the parable of the talents is not about money. You, you know that, right? The parable of the talents in the Bible has nothing to do with money. Nothing to do with money. Preachers who say it has to do with money are interested in your money. That's just, that's for free. That's a sermon for another day, but that's for free. Anytime you hear somebody using the parable of the talents to, to say you need to give more, see, look, Jesus says those who give more, get more. No, that's not what it means. They're, they're trying to get money from you. They're, they're thieves, okay? That's a sermon for another day. It's free. The parable of talents is about your life. That coin that you're given right now, this moment, how are you going to invest it? It's the parable of talents, right? There's three, three guys. The, the master goes away, and he entrusts these servants with, with money, different amounts of money. He gives one a lot of money, 10,000 denarii. He gives the other one a middle amount of money. Then he gives the other one just one single denarii. And the two that get the most, they, they go and they invest all of it. And it brings a return on the investment. And so the master comes back. And he's like, this is amazing. Like, look what you guys did. Good. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one who's given one goes and he buries it. Buries it. I don't want to think about it. I, I don't want to think about it. I don't want anything to happen to it. Just, just, just don't think about it. He comes back and he gives his master one dirty, dusty, buried denarii. He says, here you go. Here's your money back. He's cast out because he wasted it. You've been given this one right here. This is your coin, this moment. How are you going to invest it? It's the only one you have to invest. You can't invest yesterdays. You can't invest tomorrows. You only have today. Will you surrender it to the King of Kings? Will you say, this moment is for you. I will serve those around me. I will love those around me. And I will do it for your glory, for your fame, for your renown, not for my own. This is yours. 
Friends, we must be a people who learn that the enduring the pain of counting our days is a worthwhile and valuable task. And we must learn to live in the present moment. Set an alarm on your phone every hour. This is actually harder than you think. And say, okay, for as long as I can, I'm going to live in the present moment. You're going to find that it's very hard. You might last like 30 seconds. Then you're going to start thinking about the future. Maybe, maybe if you're good, you'll last a minute or two or three. And then you're going to start making plans. I don't want to think about it. Moving on. This is the only one you have. How will you invest it? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we come before you. I pray that you would open our eyes. That we'd be people who hunger to be shown the number of our days. That we want to actually know our worth and value apart from Christ so that we might treasure our worth in Christ. That we want, that we'd be people who want to know the number of days and the moments that we have so that we'd be people who take them and treat them as precious and invest them well. Help me. Help me number my days that I might live in my present moment and I might surrender to you. For those who have gathered here this morning who have never surrendered their life to you and they keep saying, someday I will, out there in the future, that's when I'll do it and everything will be great then. How foolish are we to not realize this is the only one we have right here. This is the one. Help us right now surrender all that we have right now in this moment to you and not hold one thing for ourselves. I want to invest everything I am in you because you've invested everything that you have into me. And we praise you. To you be all the glory, the fame, and the honor forever and ever.